people, this is Mordecai Joseph, we are today in lesson 83, and we are in the book of Acts, chapter 2 and verse 1, where we read, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, and uh, the translation is in essence uh, making us lose a little bit of what uh, is being said here, because it's not really saying originally when the day of Pentecost is fully come, but when the seven, when the seven weeks have been fully counted, and then this is where this event took place. So it's not just speaking about the day itself, but when the seven weeks were fully completed, this is when this event happened, because when the seven weeks are completed, then on the last one, after that, the 50th one, comes the Feast of Weeks. And Pentecost, and the day of Pentecost, that, that clouds uh, a little bit the issue, and doesn't give you a clear understanding of it. Anyway, when that time came, on the day that Israel is to keep in the temple, at the time, that's where all Israel came to, this is where the apostles found themselves, the disciples and all the followers of Jesus Christ. And this is where Christ wanted them to be, in the midst of the, of the wife of God, in the midst of Israel, in the midst of his people, in the midst of so-called, in the future terminology of the church. That was the center. And they had to be there. They couldn't be somewhere else. So God was making it very plain. Since he's going to give this message, and this event is going to occur in the midst of his wife, in the midst of his people, in the midst of that is his wife-to-be. But still, nevertheless, his wife, his bride, his church, his people. This is where he wanted the message to be delivered, and this is where he gave it, gave it to them. And so when they were there, all in one accord, in one place, and suddenly... There came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one set upon each of them, that symbolically, when the Holy Spirit was given to them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance, when the power of God that came from him, in this case he's not speaking about the person, because God is Holy Spirit, and Jesus Christ is Holy Spirit, they are holy, they are spirit, but here it is speaking about his emanation, about his power that comes from him. Human beings do not have the capacity to take all their spirit and give it to others, but God can. And he can give us the spirit, and he can take some of it or the spirit that he gave us and give it to somebody else or divide it like he did, he did with Moses and it's not something you can do with a person if you don't take a person and you divide it in half and you take one half of the person put it in one person another half of it his hands and his legs you know somebody else you know, it becomes uh, ridiculous when, when you think about it from that point of view and yet this is what the, the those who believe in the Trinity in essence are, are, are teaching and they don't comprehend the full consequences of their teaching. And so God sent his power and he placed it on his children of Israel. It wasn't any foreign entity. And it wasn't any birthday of the church either. The church was born already as a nation in Egypt. This is the renewed number of them that are being renewed by the Spirit. God gives them the Spirit. He's not beginning a new entity. That was a teaching that came later on by the, by the false church. 
this was the birthday of the church, meaning their church. Well, having no knowledge and understanding of the scriptures, they came up with that. And so far we have covered that very thoroughly. That the church of God, the people of God, the body of witnesses of God began from the time that he went down to Egypt in person and took them by power and might and mighty acts out of Egypt and made them his people. And he began that process with the Passover sacrifice. And he brought them to Sinai and he married them. And so because of the rebellion, they were not walking in the laws of God as they should have. And they did not follow him all the way. He allowed them to walk in their own ways. And now he said, as he said earlier through the prophets, now he's going to renew his people. He's going to build his church, his people, his body of witnesses. He's going to build Israel. Because they've been in ruin, so to speak. They've been dead in their sins. That's the building he's talking about. And here he's beginning the process. But that's his own church that was already there. Not beginning a new institution or a new organization, a new entity. Too many of us, as a matter of fact, the majority of us still believe that lie. So this is what God was doing here. He's beginning a new entity. Well, if he does, why does he do it in the temple? Let him, you know, he should do it somewhere else. Why in the temple? Why in the midst of the children of Israel? And so, in verse 5, now we read, And they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men, or Hasidim in Hebrew. Today we read about the Hasidic movement. Uh, it means people who live by righteousness, totally given to it, not that they are perfect, but as Paul said, as touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. And he wasn't the only one. But it wasn't good enough because it, it was of a human uh, effort you know, to obey that law where it was not their God, their maker, their ruler, their savior, the God of the heavens and the earth, the Father, and now Jesus Christ coming in the flesh, living his life in them by his spirit, by his word. And his word is spirit, as he made it very plain to them. Some people think the law is just a bunch of rules and regulations. Has very little understanding of what the law is all about, because the word itself, law, is a mis mistranslation. That's one of the greatest, greatest uh, disservice that the translators have done to the Word of God by translating the, the Torah of God as law, which is a code of behavior, you know, legalistic code of behavior. Now, the Torah contains a code of behavior and legal part of it, but that's only a part of it. Just like a house contains a door, but the door is not the house. And so law is a part of the Torah, but the, the law is not the Torah. Just a part of it, just like the door in the house. And so he was going to give them the spirit so that his law, which is spirit, would not be written with the Holy Spirit in their hearts. So it's not just a matter of an external thing where you read it in a book and you do it. And then you, you program yourself and you do it automatically. And so the way God was going to be formed in them, the way Christ was going to live his life in them, the way both of them, the Father and the Son, Christ said, were coming to abide and live in men, 
is by giving them the spirit and writing his Torah, which is spirit, in their heart, in our hearts, in all of us. A lot of people have very little understanding of what the Torah is all about. It's not just a, a letter of the law, it's a spirit. That's why Paul made it very plain. The Torah is spiritual. Spiritual entity. And so is the reason for the Holy Spirit to write that spiritual law in our hearts. And that's how Christ is being formed in us. And this is what he brought to his own people, Israel. To the wife. To the church. So he's renewing his people. He's building his nation. He's building his church. He's building his people to whom he came. And the message is very plain. But it was warped and perverted by the Babylonian system. And unfortunately, the majority of us coming out of it in the past 2,000 years, the children of Israel that fell into that ignorance, they don't even know who they are, they think that, well, here we have now a new entity and we are it. And those Jews got forgot all about them, all the people of Israel. That's what he's describing here. So he's saying there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, people of God, members of the wife of God, devout men from every nation under heaven. What is it that makes you devout? Obedience to the law of God. But their obedience was of the flesh, which is good as a beginning, but that's only the first step. And verse 6, And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And you immediately recognize people who come from the Galilee. They've got their own accent. Uh, just like today, you come from the south. You know, you begin to speak. Everybody knows where you came from. That's the way it was then. And so they said, they're all Galileans. And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? So they were hearing languages, not babbling, not noise, real languages. And that was a miracle there. They spoke, and God, in essence, by spirit, made everybody hear it in his own language. That's where the miracle was. It's not that the disciples began to speak in foreign languages. Because when any one of them spoke, everybody heard it in a different language. And so they said, and how is it that we hear? Each in our own language in which we were born. Parthians and the mention, Medes and Elamites. And in other words, all those territories in the Mediterranean, in the Middle East, Turkey, Asia Minor as they call it, all over the place. And mentioned even, even you know, also Judea, in contrast to the Galilee, and so forth. And they mentioned other other uh, places, and so they were all listening and hearing to the voice of the disciples who spoke in their own language, Hebrew or Aramaic, but everybody else heard it in their own language. But all that is happening within the people of God, the people of Israel, in the temple of God, in the temple of Israel, in the temple of the God of Israel. It's all an in-house, so to speak, event. If God wanted to start his own church, which is separate one that is made of all the nations of the earth, why come to the temple? Why not go somewhere else? 
go to the Galilee of the Gentiles, so to speak, with all the Gentiles there and started there. It was making it very plain. It is his church, his people, his wife, his nation, for which he atoned with his own blood and his own body, and also for the race of mankind, and it is through them that he is going to continue the process of deliverance to all mankind. But even then, he was not going to offer deliverance to all the nation of Israel at the time. That was not his intent. And certainly, less than that, it was not his intent to call the nations of the earth at the time. And certainly, he was not beginning a new entity that is made of all the nations of the earth. That lie came later on. And then, was accepted as truth. All of us believe it. That's why we're all confused and we think that God put down the church and picked up, that is, uh, put down Israel and picked up the church. We think we're a separate entity. And we're not paying attention to what the scriptures say very plainly. And so, people began making fun of them, or at least some of them were making fun of them because they thought they were drunk. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to the men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, and those who dwell in Jerusalem at the time were all those who came to the feast from all over the world, so to speak, the world of the time. He said, let this, let this be known to you, and heed my words, for this are not drunk, as is supposed, since it is only the third hour of the day, people don't drink in the morning, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now, mind you, Peter is now under the impression that Christ was coming in his day. So he's quoting the scripture, thinking that its fulfillment is going to happen in his day, when in actual reality, it was only a little type of it, a little taste of it. And again, the message that Joel gave was about Israel, not about the nations of the earth. It was about the church, the church of God, the people of God, the body of witnesses of Israel. Not somebody else. Not other nations. It's not what he was concerned with. This is not what the prophecy was given to him uh, to record about other nations, but the people of God. The nation of God. And that's exactly what Peter is saying here. He says, this is what Joel said, And it shall come to pass in the last days, says Elohim, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, speaking about his own people, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, speaking about his own people. And your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants, and on my maid servants, speaking about his people who served him, and all through his word. Not to those who knew nothing about the, the, the word of God, the truth of God. And so I said, on them who serve me, you serve him through the Torah, through the, the word of God, through the instructions that he gave them from beginning until the end from Genesis to Malachi. So he says on them, I'm going to pour my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. And in essence, that's the end of this prophecy for that time. And Peter didn't understand it at this point, thinking that Christ was coming in his day and this is the salvation of Israel. And that's why they asked Jesus Christ before he ascended up and he didn't tell them. Ask him, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? Thinking this, this is where all the prophets spoke about, this is the time. At this point, still he doesn't understand 
No, there is going to be another 2,000 years. So he's thinking the whole thing is going to happen now. So he quotes the whole prophecy. But God makes it very plain that he's speaking about the end time. That was just the beginning of it. And for God, 2,000 years, just a couple of seconds. So really, in that sense, it doesn't make any difference whether it is 2,000 years or 2 seconds. That was the beginning of the end, in one sense. And so he continues in verse 19, I will show wonders in heaven above and the signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the eternal of Jehovah. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the eternal shall be saved. Now, this is talking about the end time. Now, that was beginning at that point. That people were going to respond. But they didn't realize God is not in the, in, uh, about at that time to call everybody of his own people and certainly not the nations of the earth. And yet he presented it that way and God allowed him to present it that way and caused it to be recorded that way. But then when God speaks, oftentimes you see in a scripture uh, he speaks about a certain point of time in the days of the prophets and he jumps into the future in the same scripture and if you don't understand the context you don't know what he's talking about and don't realize that about 4,000 years went by before the uh, completeness uh, that is the fullness of the scripture has been fulfilled and many scriptures are written in that manner so this is just one of them so even though people think in their own concept of time, which is the only way that we can see and understand, God thinks from his point of view that, as some would record, like Peter and others, a thousand years with the Lord is just like one day or one year. And so he allows this kind of scriptures to be recorded by his servants, even though they think one thing, but he thinks something else. And yet again, the message is very plain. It is to Israel. It is for Israel. It is to the church of God, which is Israel. Israel is not a type of the church, as some people say, because they believe, you know, that lie, which they're not aware of it. This is what it is. And so they see all the scriptures, and they don't know what to make of them, and say, well, Israel is a type of the church. Not understanding Israel is a church, and those scriptures are spoken to Israel. And the few that God is grafting into Israel, and the fact that they're being grafted into the commonwealth of Israel, they become Israel. So the message is still only to Israel. And that's why Peter continues in verse 22 by saying, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God, that is Elohim, the Most High, did through him in your midst. Now, he didn't go to China to do it there. He came to his own people, his own wife. That's what the message is directed to. And so he said, he did in your own midst, as you yourselves know, also know. Him being delivered by the determinate purpose and foreknowledge of Elohim. So God is the one that was behind the betrayal of Jesus Christ. He even raised a special man to be uh, instigator of Judas. It was all from God. That was a part of the plan. And the nations that came later on supposedly became Christians, never understood that as they should have. 
And they began picking on the Jews, calling them Christ killers when all of them were Christ killers. All of us are. That shows you how blind and naked and, dar and in darkness they are, and to this very day, an awful lot of them are that way. And many of us have that poison in us, too. That's why many of us have anti-Semitism in us. And that's not of God, that's of the, of the devil. And so he said, it was according to the purpose and the foreknowledge of Elohim, of the Most High, that this was done, and he said, because of that, you have taken by lawless hands, hands of the Romans, who were not children of the law, but disobedient to the law of God. That's why he says, lawless hands, and he has crucified and put to death. Because that was against the law to kill an innocent man. And the one that did it directly were the Romans. And the Jews delivered him to them. So all of them were lawless. The entirety of the world is lawless. And that's where this took place. Yet God is the one behind it all. So if, really, if you want to put the major blame, you put it on God himself. And he did it so he can bring all of us deliverance. And then we understand what it really means. And so he was doing it within the midst of the nation of Israel. And so he caused, in essence, the wife to take her husband and delivered him to the nations, the lawless, and caused him to be crucified. And that's exactly what happened. And so he says in verse 25, for David says concerning him, I foresaw the eternal, or the Jehovah, always before my face. See, this Jehovah was his direct deity. But God was also fully aware of the Most High, who was above this deity, who was sending this deity to deal with him and the rest of Israel. David was not ignorant of that, but unfortunately the majority of Israel were always ignorant of that. And so he says, For he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in the grave. He understood. Through this, Lord, I am going to have life. Nor will you allow your Holy One, he's speaking to the Father directly. Because David knew both. And David prayed to both of them and spoke to both of them. And some people don't realize that. And the men of old did know both and spoke to both of them. Abraham spoke to the Most High, El Elyon, and also spoke to the one that was sent by him, who was also an eternal. But all Israel generally were in darkness, in blindness. It's only the few all along that knew it. And to this very day, in the past 2,000 years, there have been rabbis and there have been Jews, devout Jews, who read the scriptures and were honest and sincere about it and objective about it. And they saw the two beings and they understood that. But it's not popular to tell everybody all about that because you get in trouble and everybody else thinks it's blasphemy. And so Peter says about what David was revealing in the scriptures, and they should have known it because they read those things. The people of God, you know, those who were righteous among them, not everybody was studying the scriptures, even not even in those days. There were always those just like today. We didn't care much about the word of God. But 
Generally speaking, the majority of them went to the synagogue. Just like two centuries ago, every single Jew always went to the synagogue, and until even a century ago, but now you find in this uh, last century or century and a half, where the majority, now it's the opposite, the majority of the Jews do not even bother to go to the synagogue, and so they don't really know the word of God. But the forefathers, not too long ago, about a generation, two generations ago, knew very well. So there is much more darkness. And so David made it very plain. Those people who were listening to Peter should have known what he's talking about, about the resurrection, about the sacrifice of their Lord, about what David said. It wasn't new. You see, this is not New Testament here. This is writings of God in the book of Psalms. There's nothing new about it. So when, just because you read it in the book of Acts, it doesn't make it New Testament. And people don't understand what is Old Testament and New Testament to begin with. They're confusing a marriage covenant with the entirety of the writings. And then I related. One is a document of marriage. The other one is the writings that tell you about how the wife is to live her life. And so he's saying in verse 27, For you will not leave my soul in, in the grave, speaking about David, nor will you allow your Holy One, speaking about his direct eternal deity, which he knew was going to die for the sins of David and of Israel and of the whole earth. He says, you're not speaking to the Father, you're not going to allow your Holy One to see corruption that is in the grave. And you have made known to me the ways of life. That's the name of the religion of God. Ways of life. He didn't say you made known to me Christianity or Judaism. The ways of life. And when God gives a name to his religion, we shouldn't be too bashful about using it. Instead of that saying, well, forget about your terminology, God, we're going to invent our own. And that's what men had done. That's what Israel had done. They came up with their own religion. And the house of Israel came up with their own religion. They call it Christianity because they followed the Babylonish religion. And the house of Judah remained with their own religion, which they took again out of the Bible, mixture of truth and error. They call it Judaism. And God makes it very plain. These are my ways. You forsake your ways, and you come and walk in my ways. That's what the repentance is all about. Forsake Judaism and Christianity, and walk in my way. The way that he taught the fathers from the beginning of time. That's the faith that Jude talks about that has been delivered. That people must return to it. And so it says, you have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Because he's going to live forever because of that sacrifice. And so Peter says in verse 29, Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David that he is both dead. He didn't say his body is dead. But he says he, David, is both dead and buried. And his tomb is with us to this day. Or is there, you know, the doctrine of uh, going to heaven or to hell? When you die, you're dead. Whether you're a wicked man or a righteous man, you're dead. You're dead and you're buried. And when God wants to bring his people back to life, he goes to the grave, so to speak, and brings them out of the grave. And of course, that's a, a terminology for the resurrection because many people don't even exist even in the grave. By speaking about the fact that when our body dies, yes, the spirit goes up to heaven, but it's not a living being. 
And because where our body is dead, the spirit that is went up to heaven cannot function until God brings to life that body, gives it life, and takes that spirit and places in a body, which is going to be a new body now, and then life begins again. And that's what David was talking about. That's what Peter is explaining to his people. And yet the children of Israel, both of the house of Judah and the house of Israel, rejected these teachings. And both of them believed lies. Going to heaven, going to hell. That's not from God. And so in verse 3 he continues, Therefore being a prophet and knowing that God, that is Elohim, the Most High, had sworn with an oath to him that of, of the fruit of his body, you see the relationship that David has with the Father? People don't realize that. Because they're not reading the scriptures very carefully. And David knew that. That's what you read here. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that Elohim, the Most High, that is, the Father, the one that became the Father, had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. And the majority of Israel had forgotten these teachings that they read in their own scriptures. And so when Christ came on the scene, they had a difficult time understanding. How can he be God? Because when he said Son of God, they knew immediately what it means. Now, unlike many of us who are ignorant today and don't know what it means for Christ to be a deity, and they think that he's flesh and blood, good prophet, that's all he was. Just, you know, understood it very plainly. When you say you're a son of God, that means you're God. That's all there is to it. There's no such a thing in between. And so David made it very plain. And Peter explained it to his own people. That it was the Father who swore to David by the Spirit, as he came to him in a vision, now that he spoke to him face to face, as Christ said, nobody has seen the Father nor heard his voice. It was in a vision, obviously. And he swore to him that out of his own body he's going to bring someone who is going to be the savior of mankind and he's going to sit on his throne. And this savior is his own master. And also he's going to become his own son. And so when Christ presented this issue to the disciples who had a difficult time understanding his godhood, his divinity that is, his deity, he said, well, what about David? You know, how come he says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit on my right hand, and if he is his master, if he is his Lord, if he is his deity, if he is his eternal, how can he be his son also? Well, the Jews understood very well what he was talking about, and therefore they kept their mouth shut after that. And they didn't you know, bother him anymore about that issue. Today there are those in our midst who should have known better, and they don't understand the simplicity that the people at the time, as carnal as they were, understood, and had no problem understanding that. Because they also knew the scriptures. And it was very plain. When they were con uh, confronted with the scriptures, they couldn't deny it. So in verse 31, he continues, He, foreseeing, speaking about David, this spoke, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, of the anointed, that his soul was not left in the grave, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus, this Yeshua, my man is God the Savior, Elohim raised up, the Most High raised him up, of which we are all witnesses. And Israel was appointed to be the witness of God, that he is God in the land of Egypt. 
because they experienced his marvelous works. And they received his word, and they heard his voice, and they came to Mount Sinai. And so they were supposed to be the witnesses of their creator, of their God, of their Elohim, to all the nations of the earth. And so here are to the children of Israel, the disciples, became personal witnesses of the resurrection and all the mighty deeds and works that he did. And for that matter, uh, all those who followed him and all those who were uh, affected by it, by those miracles like the feeding of the bread, raising of the dead, healing the sick, all of them were witnesses. Because that's the role that God gave his people Israel, to be a body of witnesses. So it's, a, it's still within, it's an in-house message. It's not something given to a foreign nation that calls itself, or foreign people, or foreign entity calling itself the church, apart from Israel. There's no such a thing. And so that's what he said, we're witnesses. And therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this, that is, he poured out this which you now see and hear, speaking of the Holy Spirit. And then he makes it very plain. For David did not ascend into the heavens. But he says himself, the eternal, that is the Lord, the Adon, that's what he said there, Adoni, that is my Lord, Adoni, said, well actually uh, the first Lord is Jehovah and the second one is Adon. So he says, Jehovah said to my master, my Adon. And that's the name that Everybody called Jesus Christ, the Adon, because they all knew that this is the one, the master. And that's why I say there is only one like me. One is your master, one is your Adon, and one is your master, and he's in heaven. That is, he's going to heaven, but all of you are brethren. Don't try to become Adon to each other. Lord, don't lord it over each other. And people have forgot that, especially among the leaders. They are the first one that forget the word of God to their own advantage so they can get away, you know, their own whatever. So in verse 35 he says, well, uh, verse 34, the, the eternal Jehovah said to my Adon, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. So the Father is going to be the one who is going to subjugate all mankind under Jesus Christ. And therefore, verse 36, let all the house of Israel know assuredly to whom is he speaking. Not only to the people that were there, but to the entirety of the house of Israel who are going to read this message for the next 2,000 years. Of course, he's not thinking about 2,000 years, but that's exactly what God was planning all the nations of Israel, all the tribes of Israel, all the peoples of Israel scattered throughout the entirety of the earth in the next 2,000 years to read these very words and know it. And Peter doesn't fully comprehend it at the time. This is what he's saying, but this is the Holy Spirit speaking through him. And God knows about the entirety of the plan and about the coming 2,000 years. Peter doesn't. So God is the one doing the inspiring, and this is what comes out of the mouth of Peter. Even though he himself may not fully comprehend what he's saying, just like many of the prophets. They prophesied but didn't know what they were talking about because God didn't reveal it even to them. Like Daniel said, okay, I'm prophesying, but I don't know what I'm talking about. What does it mean? Well, God tells him, well, don't forget all about it. You're going to sleep with your fathers 
Those things are going to happen in the future, and it's not for you to know at this point. That's exactly what is happening here. And so he's saying, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified both Master and Savior, or that is, anointed, the Messiah, the Savior. That's what Christ means, anointed. And uh, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? So here you find children of Israel, children of the bride, children of the wife, children of the body of witnesses, children of the church of God, modern terminology, to whom the message is sent, to whom it is addressed. It's not to the nations. And so they're responding. And that's how Christ is building his church, his own people, his own wife children of Israel and then he's going to send them to the rest of the world to be a light to the nations and so they said what shall we do and Peter replies in verse 38 famous scripture repent turn away from your way that is and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Yeshua the anointed for the remissions of sins and what is sins but transgression of the Torah and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Some people say, well, I don't need the Torah, I don't need the law. I just live by grace. There's no such a thing. Without the Torah, you cannot come to God. Because the Torah is his very nature, is very mind. You cannot despise him and rebel against him, but be like, you know, the devil and his demons, and have a relationship with him. And yet that's exactly what people think they can. Having the same spirit. And so it says, you repent. Of walking in your own ways. Might as well say in your Judaism or in your Christianity, in your Buddhism or Islam or whatever it may be. All inventions of men, taking a man and you know, a portion of the truth and then building their own house around it. Making it their own religion and calling it the religion of God. And each one of them says the same. My religion is the religion of God. And it says you repent of that. You're transgressing the law of God. And so he says, if you do that, then you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And verse 39, he makes it very plain. For the promise is to you, his own people, the children of Israel, and to your children, children of Israel, and to all who are afar off, as many as the eternal our God will call. In other words, the promise is first and foremost to you, the children of Israel, and then everybody else that God wants to call, all the nations of the earth. But the priority and the emphasis is on Israel, the wife, the people of God, the church of God, that God is going to build through his son, through giving them the Holy Spirit, through writing his law, his Torah, in their hearts and in their minds. And then there can be a light to the nations. But then Peter thought that was happening in his day, and so they did the whole ministry... Uh, he and all the apostles, including Paul, thinking that Christ was coming in their day and they preached from that point of view. And they didn't realize, no, God was not about to set his hand to deliver his, his people Israel and all the nations of the earth at the time. He was just calling few, little flock, only the first fruit. And that's what we are today to this very day. We're just first fruit. What are we in comparison to the entirety of the earth? Almost six billion of them. There's very few. But we're not the church. We're just the sprinklings 
were the first fruit of the church. And you don't call, you know, the first scouts that the army sends, as here is the army. That's not the army. And you don't call the first fruit the harvest. It's not the harvest. And so, in the true sense, we are not the church. We are members of that church, yes. Just like the scouts are members of the rest of the army that is coming after them. And the first fruit is you know, the part of the great harvest that is coming to later on. But you see the separation that God makes between the first fruit or the scouts or the, the sprinklings that he's calling and the entirety. And so it's in the future when God sets his hand, when he establishes his kingdom upon this earth, when he brings all the nation of Israel back to their land and he's making a new covenant with them, with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, there is the birthday of the church. Where God made it very plain in the prophets that in one hour a nation shall be born. And that didn't happen 2,000 years ago. This is what the, the apostles thought it was happening. That was the beginning. They thought, well, before the, the time they die, you know, everybody's going to be converted. And all of Israel and the rest of the, of the nations of the earth. And so we must understand it from the point of view of what God told us from the beginning of the story until the end. That's why the Holy Days tell us this is the whole plan of salvation. And everything is not happening on Pentecost. It's just the beginning. Even with the marriage that he had with Israel. There was one generation of Israel there. And they entered into that marriage. But there came generation after generation after generation for the past 3,500 years of Israelites. And all of them were members of that marriage. Even though they were born 3,500 years later. And some are going to be born between now and the end of the millennium, another thousand years. And yet they all enter into the same marriage, though they were not there in person. Some people don't understand that, so they don't comprehend what the marriage of the Lamb is all about. They think it's a one-time event, just like with a man and a woman. You know, you can carry it in analogy only to a certain uh, point, and that's it. And then after that, you forget the analogy. And you begin to understand the spiritual concept behind it. That is far beyond it. And that's what Peter is telling his own people. That this promise is to them and to their children. And to all those that God is going to call among the nations later on. And so, we continue to speak to them and to teach them more things about it. And then we continue in chapter 3 where we read in verse 1. Now Peter and John went to, together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And you would think if God was creating a new entity, they would say, okay, let's forget about the temple, let's forget about Judaism, let's forget about the Jews and all that, let's forget about everything else, let's do our own thing now, because we are not a new entity. Peter never understood it that way. Peter never thought that he was a separate member from the nation of Israel, from the church of Israel. And so he went to the temple. It wasn't a question of transition, as some people like to, to reason around it in their ignorance. Not because they understand, but because they're ignorant and unlearned. That was the most natural thing for a member of the of uh, the followers of the disciples of Christ to do. Go to the temple. It's the temple of Elohim. Temple, temple of the Most High. It was the temple of Jesus Christ. Where else would they be? That's where their wife came to serve, you know, and worship her God. And some of them were spiritual, but went to the temple... And the majority were not. But still, all the church of God, all the people of God, all the body of witnesses. And so he went to the temple at the hour of prayer. And today, we talk, you know, unfortunately, we, have, we, we strayed so far away from it, we don't even understand what it means. 
Today we go and have our own service. We call it a service. And it's not the hour of prayer where we don't come to pray before God. We come to listen to a man. You know, he'll pick a few scriptures from here and there. And we think we went to, to God and, uh, and, you know, worshipped him. Well, to a degree we do, a little bit there. But we strayed so far away that we don't even know what the divine service is and how to come before God. Well, here the disciples, not being ignorant, still members of the children of Israel, or the wives of the people of God, knew what to do, how to serve God. You go to the temple, the hour of prayer. And that was the ninth hour, and there were several hours of prayer, there were three of them, not just one. And it's certain, well, this is what we read there. Uh, that's the point I wanted to make here. And then we continue in, uh, in verse 11. Uh, verse 11, now, as the lame man who was healed, because Peter healed the lame man, and we read the story in between, uh, he leaped and held on to Peter and John, and all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So that was in the temple. So he performed a miracle before all, and that was God uh, showing the rest of the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, the wife that is working through his people, the people that he called now, and specifically the disciples. And he's doing it for their sake. So more of them will come and respond and be a part of that building that Christ is building, where the children of Israel are not becoming spiritual Israel, not being replaced by somebody else who calls himself spiritual Israel or herself, but they themselves, coming to God, forsaking their way, receiving the Holy Spirit, become now the spiritual Israel, and that's what Paul is talking about, the Israel of God. He's not talking about the nations or the new entity, supposedly a new entity. He's talking about the children of Israel, and the ones that God is grafting from the nations. They're all Israel, still, Israel is the emphasis. And so, verse 12, So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel. Still, all, all is Israel. Why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intensely at us, as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? And that's the way human beings look at it. Anyway, we shall continue with that next time. This is again Mordecai Joseph saying greetings to all of God's people. The preceding message was taken from the World Wide Website at address www.biblestudy.org. This site is sponsored by Barnabas Ministries. Bible Study. You have questions? The Bible has 